Hi guys, Byron here. Sam, also. No, here. I mean you don't need to say it. I, with, I'm just saying that that I was. But just you lo- looked at me. Okay, I w- did. You did look at me. Why didn't you look at me, Kelly? Uh, I'm just here to let everyone. I'm not know 400 pounds. I know. Just tell them that you can now purchase T-shirts and pins from us. We've got things for you. Yay! Where are these things? All you need to do is go to shop.frightday.com. We've got a cool shirt with a ghost on it, pins and button sets that are a dollar per pin. But don't feel like you have to only pay a dollar for these things. I know that's how much they're valued at. You could help fund Kelly Cryptid Expeditions if you were to be really generous. Show your friends just how scary you are by buying things from us and supporting our obsession with violence. Not just violence. Hey, Kelly. Also plots. Scary things that aren't violent, like aliens or ghosts or Bigfoot. If they aren't violent, why are you scared of them? Because they could be. Go to shop.frightday.com. Let's start the show. Friday, this is episode 34. I'm your host, Byron, and tonight, a logging company unleashes evil, and we're going to talk all about it reviewing Jack Heller's Dark Was the Night. Although we are not invited at all, we crash Bohemian Grove, a secret bipartisan political rager in Northern California, in this week's edition of Kelly's Cryptids and Conspiracies. And later in the program, we have an interview with director Patrick Bryce, who was kind enough to talk with us about VHS box covers, the last 35mm porn theater in Paris, and of course his incredibly awkwardly unsettling film Creep. The light just went out as soon as I said creep. That it was creepy. Did. That I'm was jo- disturbing. I'm joined tonight by Kelly. How many times are we going to have an experience in this room that makes us believe it's haunted before you two actually believe it? And Sam. The light bulb just burned out. That could be it. Okay, you replace all the light bulbs at the same time. Why would that one burn out before the other ones? Because I said... Does it make any sense? Creep. creep. Yeah. Yeah, the difference was creep. That could have been a ghoul, for sure. I'm not an electrical engineer. What other experiences have happened in this room, other than the first night I was here when the laptop kept going on and off without Right, it? and remember the recording you got, the audio... I mean, that that was, was just terrifying. an audio error. There's no way that that could have been anything real. It was an artifact. I do have to admit, though, the, the laptop just turning on and playing music randomly was kind of a weird first day. Here. And the yes. And then also remember the time when the music went, all of a sudden the sound went crazy and I jumped up on top of the couch? Yeah, I did. we just talked about that. I said no, no, it. no. The other time when you recorded and you picked up when you were playing it back, remember, in the background, we were talking, uh, uh, talking uh, about uh, ghosts, and there was the noise that said, yes. Yeah, but I mean, that could have just been Sam farting. It very well could have been. It was not, and you're idiots, whatever, it's fine. I mean, maybe something else will happen (sighs) in this episode. I would rather it not. It scares me. I have to sleep here. get out voice that's been coming at regular intervals from the wall since we moved in. And a lot of ceremonies outside. (sighs) Oh, I mean, what are they doing out there? Guys. Stop it. Jesus. You guys need to stop scaring me. Speaking of things that are scary, we're a horror film podcast. We are. Did you guys watch anything this week? Yes. Kelly, let's start. Sam, go first. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, I watched a 1974 flick called Madhouse, starring Vincent Price and Peter Cushing, who are two of my absolute heroes. Not Vincent Price's finest performance, I don't think. It's the story of an actor who plays a villain known as Dr. Death. I like it. Yes. That's what they called me on the high school wrestling team. Dr. Death. Yeah, but I was just a guy in the audience. I think I remember you. Dr. Death, huh? And as people start dying in ways that match strangely with Dr. Death's methods on film, Mr. Toombs, who is Vincent Price's character, is left to wonder whether some part of his personality has split off into Dr. Death and is committing the murders, or perhaps someone nefarious wants him only to think so. So is this a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde scenario? Um, That's what he's trying to figure out the okay. whole time, whether he's the actual murderer in the guise of Dr. Death, or if there's someone else who's actually dressing up like Dr. Death and committing the murders, but he doesn't know, so he questions his sanity. In the end, there are spiders and fire, stabbings, beheadings, uh, stranglings, more fire. Spooky ookies. Spooky ookies. Nice. Yeah, it was great. Like I said, I'd watch anything with Vincent Price, Peter Cushing. Well, that's a lot of movies. It is a lot of movies. You've got some work to do. Kelly, how about you? Don't roll your eyes. I'm good, Byron. No, not that. I know, you... but I, let's talk about how I am. Uh, I'm good. Okay. Yeah. We upped your dosage. Super mellow. Yeah. I watched a movie called The Horde, okay. which is French. I, I've been meaning to watch that. It's movie. actually kind of interesting. It's pretty brutal and pretty bloody. So, I mean, that appealed to Sam more than me, but it had an interesting take on zombies. Interesting how? Let's spill the beans on The well, Horde. Well, they were fast zombies. Okay. Not all of them were fast zombies, but they were really strong zombies. See, and that's something I can't get behind. Is why would they get, zombies? Why would they get stronger if they're functioning at a lower level? Well, I don't know. It's like adrenaline. Like if somebody shoots you full of adrenaline, like suddenly you have more power. So that's limited. The body only produces so much and then they dump it. Well, maybe this zombie disease produces extra adrenaline. I, have, I don't know I have trouble believing the biomedical that. background I just don't believe for this type of outbreak. Yeah, but it was good. It was interesting. Speaking of outbreaks, <gasps> I watched a movie on Netflix called The Plague. Hmm. It's a zombie movie. How, how recent? I think it came out in 2014, but it just showed up on Netflix. They're pushing it all on. Interesting. I haven't seen a zombie movie in a very long time. I, I, For good reason. Yeah, I got exhausted. There's too many. I didn't hate this. It's an Australian film. I think there's probably five scenes of zombies in the whole thing, and a couple of them are just single or, or two zombie strikes at a time. Interesting strategy. Yeah, pretty mellow, and it, it focuses more on the characters and the situation they're in as opposed to the fact that there are a bunch of plague zombie people all around i think it was pretty fun that's great i think that focusing on the humans is the only way you can make a zombie movie interesting anymore is telling a good human story yeah and i mean this movie while those parts are good it kind of stole from a lot of other films i've seen one scene in particular i think it was in 28 days later the last scene they look up and there's an airplane streaking across the sky yeah. right they did the same exact thing in this film where you see the contrail right. and know that life continues which is i think an aggressive theft you know Not subtle. aggressive i would say it's pretty aggressive aggressive also, I'm, the the whole plot is based around this couple 
who let this gentleman into their group and he decides to try to steal the girl from the situation, which I feel like that's been done in several other movies as well. Dialogue was kind of iffy, but it looked good and it was a baby step back into maybe some fun zombie films. Just rewatch 28 Weeks over and over and over because it's the best zombie film ever ever made oh so good anytime it's by far the best you gotta keep the army out of my zombie films nope they ruin everything they're too powerful nope let's keep the zombies don't have a chance no the people have a chance and that's the problem you know let's put everyone in a barn or house like the classic uh, night of living dead scenario it doesn't get better than that you know what the best zombie movie i've seen in a really long time was what's that open grave there you go another simple concept uh if it's too action heavy, you see too much. Maybe like a movie we saw tonight that we'll talk about later. But yeah, I also uh, was at a friend's house who had uh, all those Showtime HBO channels. And I caught a little bit of Halloween H2O. Yeah, ah. real horrible. You know, <laughs> LL Cool J. Double L himself. Originally, my reintroduction into Michael Myers as a kid, I was 12 or 13. And it was the beginning of my real heavy attack on horror. And it was a good year for it. It had Urban Legends, John Carpenter's Vampires, The Faculty, Faculty. Blade. Pretty much just all really light-hearted, fun horror films. Dumb adolescent boy films. Halloween H2O is so overlooked in the kind of slew of Halloween sequels. You know, I, I, I agree with you. I don't know when the last time you saw it is. It's a great attempt at making a Halloween movie, especially for the new generation. They try hard to mimic the style of John Carpenter, like the way he shoots it, but they move the camera so much. They have no real idea of subtlety with the shots. And that's one of John Carpenter's biggest attributes. Fun enough, but it definitely didn't hit me like it did when I was a 12-year-old boy. So you you think you've changed? I think I've changed, you guys. It's time we have a talk. It was also the introduction of Josh Hartnett, the first movie he ever did. Was it it really? Before the faculty? Yes, it was. No kidding. And introducing Josh Hartnett, and I double-checked on IMDb today. Pretty cool. He's got a huge baggy button-up shirt and a choker. I like Slevin. I remember thinking he looked so cool. Back then? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I was obsessed with, what's his name from Scream? Jamie Kennedy. No, 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 not Jamie. Oh, Stu. Matthew Lillard. (laughs) I loved his style. I bought a sweater like Matthew Lillard and wore it every day the first week of school. After. Are there any pictures of that era? The Lillard sweater? We really era? need a Lillard sweater picture. Do you still have that sweater? Of course not. He actually made 13 Ghosts bearable to me the first time that I watched it. Yeah. Also, right when it came out and I was young. It was never bearable. And it's, if it was, it was only because of Chris Kattan. It had nothing to do with Lillard. And I say it was always bearable and still is. It's a great film. It's a terrible movie. It's we got, so bad. We got Monk. We got uh, that girl who dances naked in American Pie. Allie Lauder. Shannon Elizabeth. Oh, Allie Lauder's in it too, though. That's I funny. think it's a great movie. I also watched a house movie. You watched Madhouse. I I watched Girl House. Who got the better end of that bargain? I mean, you love Vincent Price as much as I love boobs, right? I were the boobs droopy, Byron? They were not droopy. Oh, Some of them were droopy. I'm sorry. Well, let's move past the concept of Girl House. <laughs> <laughs> which I think could have been eliminated and we could have had something interesting here. If they would have switched the situation to be like a reality show or something. Basically, the plot of Girl House in the near future or I guess, yeah, near future, let's say it could be tomorrow. This guy develops a house that is wired with many cameras, fill the house full of sexual... It's called a rental. Uh, your rental? What? 
Okay. You fill a house full of sexually promiscuous webcam models, and then you charge people to uh, have full access to all video in the house. You have girl house. And you might think that this would be dangerous, that there could be online stalkers trying to find out where these girls live. But girl house has the latest in technology that prevents hackers from finding out where these girls are until... We introduce a character called Loverboy, who had an unfortunate childhood. He met up with a girl in when he's in third grade, and she's like, you show me your dick, I'll show you my pussy, and pulled his pants down and laughed at him and said it looked like an acorn. He murders her, pushes her off a bridge, flash forward. He's just a total creep. Who plays Loverboy? I don't know his name. Typical larger guy with shaved head. Oh, I would say not typical. Oh, Slain, Boston rapper turned actor. Oh my God, I did not know this. Yeah. Oh, he's in the town. Yeah, he is. Why am I being so mean to Slain? I don't know. Maybe because I don't know who he is, but this guy deserves mention. He's the big guy in the town. You've seen the town. You like the town. I do like the town. I just don't remember Slain. Uh, Slain is also a pretty good hacker. So he finds a way when he's chatting with our final girl named Kylie, who uh, she's like your girl next door type. Uh, is short on cash for college, so she decides to show off her beautiful girl next door body. Loverboy hacks their chat and sends a picture of his face to them. These girls, being very mean, mean girls, print out the picture and start making fun of him. And he doesn't like it when people make fun of him. Uh-oh. Oh. He finds out where they are. He puts on a pretty amazing woman mask, which reminds me a lot of Leatherface. He the lip part of the mask out and cut it with scissors so he just has like this rough circular hole where his mouth is pretty amazing looks great it's kind of like a combination of rob zombies michael myers and leatherface you know when a killer comes on screen and like slowly comes and has like a moment with these people this guy just runs in the room and fucking bashes their heads in with no like second thought so it's visually very shocking which I appreciate it a lot. You don't see that in these slasher movies. Yeah. He just takes advantage of every moment he has to Straight kill. Straight for the jugular. It's Yeah, it's something completely new. The plot of the movie is terrible. The kills are cool. It, if it was just a basic slasher, I would say it's above average. So maybe if it was something like a reality show, I think it would have been better. But people like boobs. People like webcam sex future, you know. Webcam sex future. That's all I watched this week. You did well. I didn't hear a serial killer thing in there. I mean, yeah, totally. High five, Byron. Don't tell me about anything you watched. Okay. I'm going to pretend thinking this that there was... This is the blending in step. I did yeah. so good. Good this is job, where I, This is where I start pushing down what I actually yep. do and hide it. Suppress. Yeah, you're going to make this worse, you know. Yep. I'm just going to make sure it pops out in another direction, not towards me. Speaking of different directions, what do you say... Next direction? We go into the terrible band. One Direction? Yeah, that one. (laughs) You don't even know the name of the band? They're bad. They really are. But you know what's not bad? What? Isn't? Secret government meetups in Northern California. Oh. In this week's edition of Kelly's Cryptids and Conspiracies. Kelly's Cryptids and Conspiracies. All righty. One of the most famous secret societies in America is known as the Bohemian Club. Many people have heard about this probably as a result of a very subpar documentary done by a conspiracy theorist who goes by the name of Alex Jones. A subpar human. You know, I'm not going to go and say that. 
All signs would indicate yes. Uh-huh. He's a terrible person. We can agree on that. He seems to be like it's not that he's crazy. That doesn't bother me. I like some crazy people. He's just brain fun. He's so <laughs> stupid. I cannot listen to a man whose subjects and verbs disagree multiple <laughs> times in one sentence. I don't know. There's a lot of times that I have to cut things out where you say I mess up my subjects and verbs yeah, and but their it's agreements. Like, it's like maybe twice an episode. Sure. And also. You know what you did? You edited it out. At the end of an edited documentary, there are countless instances that make him sound like an English is a second language speaker. Conspiracy is his first language. Yeah, but you know what? That's fine. You can still speak English. Or if he were French, he could speak French. That'd be fine, I too. Guess. So Most people know about Bohemian Grove because of this documentary that Alex Jones did in 2000, I believe it was, supposedly blowing it out of the water. He's blowing a lot of things out of the water. Blowing it out but, of the water. But that's for another day. We'll, we'll get deep into AJ. I'm not doing the 9-11 AJ conspiracy. What about the Sandy H AJ? No, that's just disrespectful. He's a bad guy. He's th- That does make him a bad guy. You're right. Okay, back on track. Let's track back to the beginning of the Bohemian Club, which is the group that meets at the Bohemian Grove. It was actually founded in 1872 and initially was a group of journalists and musicians and artists a very left-leaning group, one would say. Like the Republicans were left well, originally? I'm talking and... about they were liberal. Sure. So They showed a little ankle. Yeah, a little bit. They got together, and there is a, a clubhouse in the San Francisco Bay Area. The He-Man Woman Haters Club? It's very similar to the He-Man Woman Haters Club, actually. Yeah. Just bros being bros. We'll get into this a bit more, but it's fairly homoerotic, which I have no really? problem with. It doesn't bother me at all, but it seems to be like the place where people who like to mock of that inclination in daylight go and do these things behind trees as it were and then they feel fine about it so so in the 1870s this club was formed and it started in san francisco the whole idea of bohemian there was a journalist named brett hart who wrote as the bohemian this kind of became the standard for the club writing artistry getting together in a fraternal group to promote these things Over time, it evolved or devolved into a group that also included politicians and business people and important world leaders of all sorts. And at this point, there is actually a mandatory requirement that 10% must be artists because it's the only way that they keep artists in the group even, which is interesting because it's very, very expensive to join, but you get like a pass on a lot of the expenses if you're an artist. How how much is it? Do you know? I couldn't find any exact figures, but implications led me to believe in the multiples of millions. Mm. Yeah. So, we're you know, the examples were people who have given libraries to two or three different universities are the kind of people who are candidates to join. Interesting. Yeah. Very strange. After a while, they began meeting at this clubhouse in San Francisco, the He-Man Woman Haters Club. But sure. then they also went into the Redwoods north of Sonoma and would have a two-week gathering, which happens to be going on right now. What? Yeah. Right now? We should actually why probably are we just doing be filming on location. Is that why Obama got his Mark Maron interview out of the way? It could be. Had to clear his schedule. Oh, my God. It could be. I must say at this point, there have been both sides of the fence in terms of politicians who are included in this club. Definitely more conservatives than liberals sure you know some of the famous ones are george w reagan they they seem like they're the kind of people who might not like people a lot different than them 
this is true, which is interesting with the whole artist's piece. So I'm not really sure how that works in at this point, other than just keeping it at least somewhat connected to what it originated as. Did Bill Clinton get to be in the group as a as a president or past president he's, or as an artist? He's not listed as a member. Sure. So I'm not sure. Obviously, the member lists that exist, I'm He's sure, are not credited complete. as saxophonist. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Wait, George W. Bush is also a painter. Oh, is he? Yeah. Oh God, He's I bet it's horrible. Really great pieces. I bet. So I know you haven't gotten through your story all the way. Yeah, no, that's fine. Go. You're fine. Why is it bad? Well, it isn't necessarily bad. The reason that people attribute bad things to it is because it's a secret. So it's a secret society. So they want to know what's going on. Like skull and bones. Right. After doing some extensive research and after watching one of the worst documentaries ever made, I have come to the conclusion that there's nothing exciting that happens there at all. Just a bro down. Yeah. So there's some interesting things that happen and it's based on some really weird old rituals. But I think it's about a bunch of dudes going into the woods to be really juvenile and anybody who is quote unquote infiltrated the meeting and recorded or written about it has basically said the most controversial thing that they saw happening were a bunch of guys walking around with boners. No, just peeing on everything because they can't wait like, really like yeah like literally it's all about peeing on things cool they just walk around and they've got like a hmm. can of beer in one hand and peeing in the other hand like so wait, they get to just do whatever right they light up cigars in the middle of the redwoods because they're gonna defy the forest service because they can because they're bohemian club it's just so why do people care? People care because it involves world leaders and they assume that when all these world leaders get together, you know, people who believe in the new world order, which I don't know enough to discredit it, but people who believe in that often think, all right, well, something shady is going on because all of these people with all this power are getting together. I must say the idea of getting together for two weeks in the woods is a little strange to me. I mean, like that's a long time to just be hanging, but that appears to be what's happening. So when you say world leaders, it is world leaders. It's not just Yeah, because a lot of the business officials who are involved own multinational corporations and it's it's a big deal. It's a very big deal. I'm sure that it has gotten nothing but more attention and more interest thanks to Alex Jones. Like William Randolph Hearst was one of the most famous members. I don't know who that is. William Randolph Hearst was like, <laughs> I have a question Her- for you, Byron. Hearst Castle? Question. Yes. Have, have you ever seen Newsies? No, I don't know what that is. God damn it. That was going to be a perfect reference. William Randolph Hearst was the biggest media mogul ever. Okay. Who's like Rupert Murdoch times 50. Yeah. And that is the Hearst Castle. And it's actually related to Patty Hearst too. Manson tie-in for something that you might actually care about. Byron. Really? Yeah. This documentary that came out of Alex Jones's was fueled by his idea that there must be shady things going on in the woods since there were all these people getting together. So he and oddly a film crew from England Mm -hmm. and his poor girlfriend, who I couldn't understand, she sounded remarkably smart. And I was trying to figure out why the hell she was involved with this whole situation. Anyhow, so they all got together and decided that they were going to go up into the woods during the meeting of the Bohemian Club at the Bohemian Grove and they were going to blow it out of the water. With dynamite. Yes. Wait, with facts? With dynamite journalism. Okay. You bet. Sure. Essentially, the documentary starts out with some interesting footage that has nothing to do with Bohemian Grove, just to try to incite some kind of a mood, I suppose. 
And he continues to talk in a hotel room like they're going to be going and doing this incredible thing. And then they have this odd conversation with his girlfriend. And he's like, oh, you can't go up there. It's only for men. I've actually learned that this is not true. There have been women who have been temporary members. There have been no full members. I think and, there's four. Yeah. And then once in a while, a woman will show up for a specific performance or something. Of Getting that sort. laid. Well, maybe. I, I haven't even heard anything that controversial yeah, about it. Not. Yeah. It's very disappointing. <laughs> it's kind of a bummer. I, I have to say I was really disappointed because I went into this, especially after seeing The Conspiracy, the found footage movie that came out a couple of years ago, yeah. which was wildly entertaining. And I thought, gosh, it was very obviously based on the Bohemian Grove. And I was hoping that I would uncover things equally entertaining about the real story. And I just didn't find it. Here's a fun fact, though. They do have different, quote unquote, camps within the club, different would be an interesting way to describe it. The Hillbillies, of which, no joke, George W. Bush is a member. Um, yeah. Mandalay, Caveman, Stowaway, Uplifters, Owl's Nest. And they apparently all have these individual little like locations within the woods where those individual clans get together. It's it's like fraternities, but on like a stupid level. Or Hogwarts on a oh, don't less compare it to stupid Hogwarts. level. Because Hogwarts is bullshit. Hogwarts is the best ever. I'm How com- dare you? I'm with Byron. Thank you, Sam. Oh my God, I we hate you We lost all our right listeners. They're all- no, don't go away because I'm these two are sorry. morons. It's just an insipid story. It is not. not you don't good. even think that. Sam used to think that. And then he came around on it and he's been enjoying it. And he's even talked about how he enjoys it. We were talking about how our daughter was going to read them. No, I just said that anything that gets kids to read is better than fucking Minecraft. I mean, you know who else had a scar in his forehead? Charles Manson. Did his was more okay. Stop comparing the HP to Manson. Well, you knock that off. I'm just saying. You knock that off. Moving right <laughs> along. <laughs> That's my favorite part of the show every mm. time. Yeah. 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 It's pretty good. Glad to hear that. Nah. Very glad to hear that. There is a ceremony that takes place at every meeting at the Bohemian Grove called the Cremation of Care Ceremony. This takes place in front of a giant owl shrine, which Alex Jones did get footage of. It's about the only good thing he did in this horrible documentary. 30 feet tall. It's a hollow owl statue and it's made of concrete and it's covered in moss and lichen. It was almost reminiscent of True Detective in the first season. It felt a little bit like that just yeah. because some of the weird symbolism and in the middle of the woods and, and these things. And the dead prostitute. Well, I, I, I didn't hear oh. about dead prostitutes. Okay. Kind of part of the landscape. Sure. So there is a recording of Walter Cronkite that's used as the voice of the owl during the ceremony, apparently, which is really sad to me. Oh, I love it. Okay. Because I like Walter Cronkite. Or liked. I'm sure that there's a lot of really good details that we're going to continue on with. But how do people know these things? Uh, people who have infiltrated. There have been a few journalists who have gone in and written about it. And then Alex Jones did film it. And you can actually, he filmed the cremation of care ceremony. It's from a distance, so it's not as easy to see as, as would be nice. But you can see it. You know, it's a little bit like, uh, it's a little bit like Eyes Wide Shut. Almost. Super sexy. Well, no, because there are no women. It's with the weird robes and the ceremonies and the chanting. Yeah, I'm with Byron. Super sexy. Super sexy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it's sexy, but they have, with a lot of their plays that they put on, they have the men play women. It's very Shakespearean that way. You didn't get into those details. They have plays. Yeah, they have plays, different things that go on for these two weeks. This is relevant to my interest as a patron of the lively arts. Mm -hmm. It's estimated that the plays cost as much as like $100,000 to put on. 
The first play was apparently performed in the early 1900s. For a few years during World War II, there were no plays, but it's something, it involves like 300 people. There's a chorus, there's a stage and an orchestra. So and I are, guess that's the tie back to the arts roots of the Bohemian Club. I do remember they did a production, I'm not sure what year or if they did it more than once, but it was something called The Gallows? No, I don't I, I don't think they did. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. Okay. I must have been thinking of something So else. these plays sound like they're definitely something that are Bohemian Grove exclusives rather than Shakespeare yes, or Tennessee yes, but Williams. It's done, it's done Shakespearean-like where the men play female roles uh-huh. too because there are no women. That makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. One of the first people to infiltrate the club was a guy for Spy Magazine in the late 80s. And he apparently spent seven days there and basically came out saying what I just talked about, that there's music and there are men peeing all over the place and drinking. And it's really, really boring. And then in 2000, Alex Jones tried to make something fantastic of it. He filmed the cremation of care ceremony which is this big ceremony in front of the owl, which I'm going to read the text of. Because honestly, as I did this research, the most interesting thing I came across that was actually kind of fun was the text of it. There's just not a lot that happens. There is a sacrifice, but all... Is it pride? No, it's not. There's supposed to be a human sacrifice, and it's supposed to be a child sacrifice, but it's not really a sacrifice. It's a mock sacrifice, which I agree is freaking Cowards. weird. Yeah, come it's, on now. Like, that's weird that they would have a mock sacrifice. But again, it's like a bunch of weird dudes. To me, it's no more weird than initiation ceremonies for fraternities in college. Just all asinine to me. But, but those are weird. Yeah, but it's, People need to address that. That's not right, normal. But it's commonly accepted by society. I guess my point is Alex Jones isn't trying to break down the, you know, fraternity induction ceremonies at... ASU. So whatever. Or even the Skull and Bones, yeah, like I mentioned earlier. Insane. Now yeah, Skull absolutely. and Bones is much more kick ass. I would join Skull and Bones. If Wait, I could. but they have all your secrets. That totally doesn't matter to me. I'm all right with it. So do all of our listeners. Yeah, I don't have any good secrets anyway. So is everybody ready for the cremation of care ceremony? Yeah, let's so ready. Let's play this music. Who are we quick. gonna sacrifice? Are we gonna sacrifice Byron or Sam? Me, of course. Me. Okay. Both of you. All right. All right. I'm gonna finish the show by myself. More cryptids, more conspiracies, no. more captains. Okay. The owl is in his leafy temple. Let all within the grove be reverent before him. Take this serious. I am. Okay. Lift up your heads, O ye trees, and be lifted up, ye everlasting spires. For behold, here is Bohemia's shrine, and holy are the pillars of this house. Weaving spiders come not here. That's their motto, by the way. Wait, what is it? Weaving spiders come not here. So they're afraid of spiders. Apparently. That's like the big thing. Hail, Bohemians, with the ripple of waters, the song of birds, such music as inspires the sinking soul. Do we invite you into midsummer's joy? The sky above is blue and sown with stars. The forest floor is heaped with fragrant grit. The evening's cool kiss is yours. The campfires glow. The birth of rosy fingered dawn. For behold, here is Bohemia's shrine and holy are the pillars of his house. Shake off your sorrows with the city's dust and cast to the winds the cares of life. But memories bring back the well-loved names of gallant friends who knew and loved this grove. Dear boom companions of a long ago, 
I let them join us in this ritual and not a piece be empty in our midst. All of these battles to hold in this gray autumn of the world or in the springtime of your heart. Attend our tale, gather ye forest folks, and cast your spells over these mortals. Touch their world blind eyes with carry on. Open their eyes to fancy. Follow the memories of yesterday and seal the gates of sorrow. When do I get killed? Is there more? You're dead already. Shh. Oh, wait. When was I sacrificed? Is a... Is... You're dead. Okay. I thought I got to be the one that got You're killed. You're both dead. Shut up. Okay. It is a dream and yet not all a dream. Dull care in all of his works harbored it. As vanished Babylon and godly Tyre, so shall they also vanish. But the wilding rose blows on the broken battlements of Tyre, and moss rends the stones of Babylon, for beauty is eternal, and we bow to beauty everlasting. For lasting happiness, we turn our eyes to one alone, and she surrounds you now. Great nature, refuge of the weary heart, and only balm to breasts that have been bruised. Hell yeah. <laughs> she hath cool hands for every fevered brow, and gentlest silence for the troubled soul. Her counsels are most wise. She healeth well, having such ministries as calm and sleep. She is ever faithful. Other friends may fail, but seek ye her in any quiet place. Smiling, she will rise and give to you her kiss. So must ye come as children. Little children that believe do not ever doubt her beauty or her faith nor deem her tenderness can change or die. Bohemians are priests. How? You're dead. Shh. How much I'm a ghost more, now. How much more, how much more of this it? crap? It's about another page. Oh, no. <laughs> We're not going to no, keep going. We are no, done we with that. We have to finish. We have to finish. It's bad luck not to finish. No, no it's, it's not. not. You can cut it if you want to. We have to finish. No, I won't no. finish. But I want you to highlight the pieces, please. The desperate call of heavy hearts is answered by the power of I'm your fellowship. Don't care. Is fast forwarding. His body has been brought yonder. Here's the sacrifice. No. Bring me waiting as of old. Jesus fucking fools. mother bitch Christ. Fools. Fools. Why did you think this was a... Destroy, but this. Be gone, dull care. Fire should have its will of thee. Be gone, dull care, and all the winds make merry with thy dust. Hail, fellowships, eternal flame. Once again, midsummer sets us free. <laughs> what? So uh, what do you think? Would you guys pay multiple millions of dollars I to think, hear that once a year? I think that was the worst fucking 20 minutes we've ever done. <laughs> it was long, eh? Why did you think that was a good idea? Well, it was the most interesting thing I found while digging up the uh, Bohemian no, Grove. Any, that, oh. As we've discovered, Bohemian Grove is actually kind of 
a bunch of boring bullshit. It's real boring, isn't it? I tried um, to tell you this. But even more boring is it in the off season, correct? A bunch of woods. It's a physical place, though. Yeah, it's in the woods. Can people go there? Can normal people visit Bohemian Grove? I mean, yes, people can go there. And apparently it provides a lot of economy to the local area, which makes sense because all these rich people come in and they have to buy food and groceries and they employ people to come out and do things because they have to be taken care of because clearly they're not going to do the menial tasks that are involved in running a thing like this. They have a crew. Right. So when Alex Jones went in and tried to interview all the locals and get them to say inciting things about this group, group they were like uh it's really not that big of a deal just a big hang it was funny because even the interviews he chose to include in his documentary were so obviously blah nobody gave a shit that this is what he was doing they all kind of knew what went on up there they all thought it was really boring nobody really cared and that was it and here we are and here we are talking about it well it's it's a big deal it's it's a big cultural reference a lot of people talk about it and you guys know me i am constantly on the bandwagon of This is real. This is something to investigate further. This is something I believe in. With all the evidence I have seen, there is nothing exciting going on there other than a lot of money being wasted by people who own stock and companies that are paying for people to have flown out there or by leaders of countries who are there that we shouldn't be paying for to be there. So I guess economically, there's probably some annoyances there. Beyond that, it's super boring. And I'm going to say, based on everything I've seen, So there could be wonderful, incredible evidence out there that hasn't been released yet that shows that they actually do burn children at the stake or, you know, invite UFOs to land or do something interesting. But for now, everything out there points towards this being a super boring old man summer camp. Cool. Yeah. You should sell them some of your camp shirts, Byron. I was thinking about that. You should make Bohemian Grove camp shirts. That actually does sound like a good idea for our merch store. It does. I think it'd be cool. Yeah, maybe make them less boring than Bohemian. We could print the entire text of the cremation of care ceremony on the back of the T-shirt. Absolutely, all around. I think that might be a good idea. Actually, see, it's a good idea. That's the worst. It's it's amazing. If if you have any interest in a Bohemian Grove T-shirt, tweet us at Fright Day with the hashtag #YesHemian Grove. If not. No Hemian Grove. Sure. Why not? Hashtag yes Hemian Grove. Sure. That's or, the only, the or, only one you need to know. Or no Hemian Grove. Mostly yes Hemian. Um, I'm going to tweet right now. And that's Kelly's Cryptids and Conspiracies this week? Yeah. Why did I say that like I was a child? Yeah, because you're the child that was just sacrificed at the cremation of care ceremony. And that's Kelly's Cryptids and Conspiracies this week? Yep. Other than the fact that Loch Ness Monster isn't real anymore. No, let's, honestly, it's it, there are giant catfish in Loch Ness that doesn't have anything to do with whether or not there's a Loch Ness Monster. That's absurd. They're mutually exclusive categories of creatures. There's been so, articles circulating. So we can agree. An article was picked up and rehashed over and over again. We can agree that still... There's no Loch Ness Monster. Idiots, stop it. You know, you guys, you mock me with my Loch Ness Monster. I should have brought it up during that interview we did earlier this week because I bet he would have been very supportive of my Loch Ness Monster theories. He was a much more polite and refined gentleman than either of you. Who are we talking about? Patrick Bryce. He was a wonderful person to speak with. And I wish that he was on the podcast with me instead of you two. You know what would have been wonderful? What? Would be if I didn't lose the first 10 minutes of the interview by not pushing record. I thought that was really hilarious. That was... uh, (laughs) I thought you was... Honestly, sitting back and watching you and Sam at that moment was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Because you two both looked like you were literally going to spontaneously I was scrambling for something to kill myself. Sam's face was more terror on it 
than anything I've ever seen before. I had a bit of a life flash. Yeah. yeah. Which is hilarious to me that either of you thought it was that it was, big of a But deal. he was very graceful and oh, he was a great guy. It worked out. And maybe we should play it right now from the point where we realized things went wrong. Yeah, we should only play the part we recorded. And you guys should let me know if you agree that he should be on the podcast instead of these two because he's so much nicer to me. I think he's probably a busy guy. Well, I know. I'm just saying in a perfect world. Here's our interview with Patrick Bryce, director of Creep. Yeah, I agree. Love to hear you say that. Hold up. Uh, I, I'm very embarrassed and sorry. It looks like our audio wasn't recording. Sure. So, so is it okay if we uh, maybe start over from the beginning? I'm so, so sorry, Patrick. You, you, you guys have to describe the movie now. That sounds that's fair. Funny. Yeah, that's very fair. So, Patrick, thank you so much for joining us uh, and giving yeah, us some it's time. It's my pleasure. I, I like faking like this isn't the second time we've had this this intro <laughs> conversation. Um, we did not push the record button at the beginning, but we all get a second uh, a second swipe at this. Yeah, so Fred is going to tell you about. Yeah, so Sam, do you want to describe what creep is? I'm going to take a stab at it, although the, the footage we just lost is going to be tough to follow. Uh, creep, starring Patrick Bryce and Mark Duplass. Um, is uh, a POV or found footage film. I think that's the category it would generally fall under, and that's where categories probably stop. Patrick's character, Aaron, plays a down-on-his-luck, possibly videographer, also possibly someone who, through chance or begging, has stumbled into a camera. Pretty good camera. Yeah. And uh, he answers an ad in Craigslist from uh, Mark Duplass's character, Joseph, to film a day in his life as Duplass's character. Joseph has been diagnosed with cancer and would like to leave a legacy for his unborn child. Um, we Correct. All- <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, That's how then, it feels. And, then, and things, yeah, and then things things devolve from there. And um, we all agree that any anything else um, would be doing a great disservice to, to viewers to, to give away anything else if you haven't seen it. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, obviously we're going to talk about it today, but it's one of those things where it's uh, really one of the, you know, it's such a specific movie that one of the true joys of it is not knowing what's going to happen and sort of each little breadcrumb of information because it's being delivered to you in such a stark way with like, you know, a very crude single camera and two actors who are improvising their lines and no other people seen in the movie the entire time. It's like this claustrophobic experience. So every little new breadcrumb of information you're just chomping on, you know, like it was a really interesting way to play with narrative in that way in terms of just how slowly can you, uh, you know, reveal information, especially in that genre, you know, and that's one thing that's been kind of interesting, like the fact that because this film is being released to the wider public streaming, you know, we had a year where we were playing film festivals, but, you know, in terms of most people's watching it, most people are either watching it on iTunes or Netflix, and therefore they're probably just watching it with themselves or one or two other people. And because the movie only has these two characters and because you're kind of in their heads the whole time, it, al- it like almost implicates the audience in a way in a weird way you know we, we couldn't agree more you give us a chance to get to know these characters slowly and in a realistic way that is completely absent in most other you know what what some would call found footage movies they're different characters but they're a lot alike in ways 
Yeah, I, you know, it's it's uh, it's funny because a lot of this just kind of came out of Mark and I not really knowing what we were doing. <laughs> you know, like both of us had maybe seen the Blair Witch Project. I think you know I'd watched the first Paranormal, and I'm trying to think. I can't. Rem- I honestly can't remember like another found footage movie I'd seen. So we were going into territory where we weren't sure if we were stepping on toes or not, or stepping on our own toes, like cliche wise or not. You know, and so it helps. It helps to kind of have that naivete when we were initially plotting it. So I, I was lucky enough to catch this in I think South by Southwest 2014 before it was oh. being distributed by anyone. Is that yeah? So was there any major changes in the film? I didn't really notice anything. But did you reshoot after the South by Southwest screening? No. Uh, that said, you know, this film was made over the course of two years, and we did about. I'd say seven or eight different reshoots for it during that time. But the version that played at South by Southwest, that was our world premiere. And uh, that was the version we sold. And that's, we haven't done, we hadn't done anything picture wise to that. That was probably one of the most encouraging nights of my life. You know, Um, it's an odd movie and I wasn't, we we, we really were going into that, not sure how people were going to react to it simply because, there's not a lot of movies like that, you know? I think that's why it's uh, it's great to have someone like Mark Duplass behind you in this situation, you know? Oh, yeah. That's what drew me to it. I had no idea about the movie. I just heard Mark Duplass in a horror film, and I was, I was there. I had to be. That's awesome. Patrick, obviously, from the film, there's quite a bit of chemistry between you and Mark, and you said, uh, unfortunately, I think this is part of what got deleted, but... You said that part of this movie emerged out of a desire for you and Mark to just make a film without a crew. Tell me how you guys met. How did that connection happen? Yeah, we. So I, I moved to LA to to go to Cal Arts. I'm from Northern California originally, and uh, when I first moved down here, my wife had just graduated Berkeley, and she got a job as Mark Duplass's nanny actually. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. So it was like this weird, you know, I, I, I'd heard of the Duplass brothers at that point, you know, uh, I'd seen the puffy chair, but you know, my background was kind of more in like experimental film and documentary. Like that was my plan to do documentary work. I really love, uh, uh, like verite style documentary. And so, you know, I was going to school for that. And then it was kind of, you know, an organic, friendship kind of developed that Mark and I were, would meet up and he'd kind of give me advice on what's going on in the industry. And we had a similar sense of humor, similar sensibility. And so, you know, it was kind of out of just our friendship and where I was at, which was just coming out of film school, having made a thesis film that people were watching and that was really exciting to have made. It was a short documentary and it was kind of the first time I'd ever completed a project, you know, I hadn't made a, a, a narrative film at all while I was in school. So I, sorry to interrupt. I'm really interested to hear how you picked that topic for, for that piece. I haven't seen it, but I've read a little bit about it. And it just, it's such an interesting topic. Where did that come from? Yeah. Uh, it's, so it's called Maurice and it's actually online for free. Uh, oh. you just Google, Google my name and Maurice. So it's a, it's a, it's a short documentary about the last porn theater in Paris that still plays 35 millimeter film uh, exclusively. And it's about the guy that runs it. And it's this establishment that is 
kind of being run into the ground. You know, people don't consume their pornography at the theater these days, you know? <laughs> it's not, not as public, yeah. Right, no, and so this guy's client, it's interesting too, because I didn't really get into this in the film, but this guy's clientele is like, you know, guys who don't own computers, uh, who, who like live through the horrors of World War II, you know? Right. And just like want a place to go jerk off and hang out with their friends. They deserve it. Uh, right. <laughs> but, but I don't know. For me, it was just, I was interested in kind of it from an ethnographic perspective and that, I, you know, I knew this place wouldn't exist. It's not going to exist in five years, you know? It's just not sustainable. And so basically it was cool because, you know, I got, I had initially gotten a scholarship to go to France to make a documentary about kind of an obscure composer who had spent some time in Paris. So it was much more dry, you know, topic. And then once I got there, I read an article about this place and I just said, you know, I, I just, I just needed to, I needed to go shoot there, you know? Yeah. Well, my dad's in Paris right now as we're speaking. So I'll definitely let him know uh, to check it out. Yeah. Hook up, hook up dad. Of course. Go find Maurice. <laughs> so you go from, in Maurice, one of the original models of cinema distribution in kind of one of its last little corners to creep with BH Tilt being on the absolute bleeding edge of, of film distribution. Yeah, I, I would, I would definitely, and, I, and I, bleeding edge is an apt term because, you know, people don't trust this yet. The, 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 the whole put, putting all your chips into streaming, I think. Yeah. And, uh, I got to tell you as a filmmaker in terms of the freedom that I experienced making that movie, the people I got to make the movie with, making it the way we wanted to make it. And now literally having the most possible eyes that could be on it, even more so than if it was in movie theaters, you know, when they did the Netflix release, it was worldwide in one day, which is know? huge. Yeah. Everyone can talk about it at the same time. Yeah. So it's like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm excited by it. It's really, um, you know, it's one of these things where uh, this is just me coming up at the time that I'm coming up, you know, just as Mark came into his, his own creativity and knowing his own voice when DV cameras were a new thing. And there was this new inexpensive way to make movies, uh, you know, shooting like, by the gigabyte. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. For me, you know, that like, that's why, like, I, I mean, it was nice to make this movie about the, you know, the death of film essentially. And, I do lament that and I lament the community that it once was and the texture of the image. And it is something that's exciting to me, but as it sort of fades, it becomes a more specific thing in terms of my own concerns with making stuff. I want to just make as much stuff as I can, as much good stuff as I can. And the only way I know how to do that is through digital filmmaking and trusting at the end of the day, what you know what the best mode of distribution for each of my specific movies is there's not one way to do it anymore absolutely and i think that that benefits smaller directors directly you know yeah and i but i think a lot of it honestly the like the machine still does have to be behind it you know what i mean yeah at the end of the day like i i hope we can find way like my my hope coming at coming into this now is that the, the, the big machines aren't the only ones that own it. Like there are modes of self-distribution that can just go straight to the filmmaker at the end of the day. I have to ask this and 
answer as diplomatically as you need to. Sure. We've seen a, a lot of, of Blumhouse's stuff lately, and I'm not in any way disparaging it. But given their catalog t- in total, what does Creep bring that wasn't there before? Well, I think um, a couple things. First of all, uh, Jason Blum just really loved the movie when he first watched it. And he watched it when it was probably 30 to 40% of the footage that's in the movie was not there at the time. So, you know, we had an entire different final third of the movie, basically. And he, like, loved it, saw what was unique about it, saw what was special about it, saw what we cared about it. And also at the same time said, guys, this is, you've made a horror movie. You need to embrace that, that it's a horror movie. And it's cool because it's like, I've, I've applied this to everything I've done since then. When, you know, during the editing process, whether it's a script or a movie, you know, you get discouraged with that first cut. And it's so nice to have worked with people, both with Mark and with Jason now, who like can look at something that sucks and and completely be able to like clinically take out what sucks or pinpoint what sucks and take that out and shine a light on what's working, you know? Right. So, so that, that was, you know, having Blumhouse involved, like that was the first thing that was, that, that was encouraging. And then, you know, I think for them, it's just like another, you know, he, I think he likes trying out new, di- different stuff, you know, and I'm not sure exactly what happened, but like that Joe Carnahan movie that was supposed to be pretty interesting ended up being a complete flop. What, what movie was that? Uh, it's called Stretch. Okay. I don't know anything about yeah. that. I, I have to tell you, and I'm sure Byron will have to cut this out and we understand why you can't comment on this, but we all yeah. went and saw The Gallows last week, another one of Blumhouse's releases, and we immediately left the theater and had a very heated discussion about why the hell this got a wide release and Creep didn't. So, oh, um, well, and it's interesting. I mean, I think they do have some great indie films they put out. I, I, I just wanted to make sure you understood where we were coming from with that question. That oh, we no, think oh, that you're a, a crown jewel in the Blum catalog for sure. You. I think your movie is truly unique, and it definitely adds something to the horror genre. And I don't know your history with horror at all um, yet. I guess we should probably get into that as well. But mm-hmm. was it part of your choice to go with the the full digital release model, or was that something decided uh, beyond? No, you? I mean that was that, you know this has all been just Mark and I, you know, kind of figuring things out and processing each step, and um, and so yeah, well, I mean basically, I mean I'll tell you what happened. We we you know we were originally purchased out of South by uh, by Radio, and then um, you know. Basically, we over the course of a year, through either scheduling issues, uh, being our schedule, because they, they, they bought two other movies, too. They wanted us to make a trilogy, you know? Mm-hmm. So basically, you know, we were going to make the sequel, and then through just scheduling and just not getting in, like, trying to also figure out a release window for the first one, it didn't, didn't end up happening. Um, and finally got to the point where, you know, Mark just uh, went to them and said, you know, I think Netflix would be interested in picking up the movie and would it be okay with you guys? And they said, yes. So then it became a Netflix film. Um, And then it was out of that, that we decided to do this, um, you know, self-releasing the movie essentially on iTunes with, and and giving them an exclusive window, you know, so folks who are either Blumhouse fans, found footage fans, we're excited about the movie because of the festivals. We're fans of Mark. Could just buy it, 
when they wanted to, you know, and then in three weeks, it'd be, you know, it'd be this kind of punk rock thing where anybody can watch it, you know? Well, you know, I want to backtrack for a second. I feel like I, I have a very specific perspective on this too, because my second film, The Overnight, was actually released the same weekend, essentially, yeah, Creep, yeah. in movie theaters. How surreal. Know? Wow, what a juxtaposition. We're That's actually crazy. Uh, headed to that locally this weekend. Yeah, it's right, oh. right across the street. Well, I hope you guys dig it. It's kind of, it is kind of a horror movie, too. <laughs> <laughs> the horror of mid-30s, right? Well, I think I heard, I, I heard a prosthetic is involved as well. Yeah, yeah. No, they, it, take out, take, replace uh, the, the axe with the penis, and oh, then you have wait. the overnight. Wow. Wonderful. Great, great. So backing up just a second, Byron mentioned we're not really sure what your background is with horror. What were your influences both as a writer and a director? of this movie. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, it's funny. I, I didn't, like I said, I didn't really have a lot to specific for this movie to specifically draw from, um, you know, growing up, I, I was not allowed to really watch horror movies. So I would kind of be obsessed with the box covers at first. I would spend a lot of time staring at VHS box covers in the horror section. It was my favorite place to go. That's awesome. Um, Sleepaway camp. For, for me, oh, absolutely. Savage Bees. I don't know if that's a regional thing, but that was my big box cover. Wow. I'm going to be Googling that after we get off the phone here. When I finally was able to watch the movies, you know, I would, it was like on basic cable, edited for basic cable Friday the 13th marathons. And, you know, that alone already was, was great. Like just, I loved, I, I just loved it. I loved the feeling of it. I loved the music, you know, and then, uh, you know, I, I'm a, you know, big fan of all the, all the, the sort of canon ones, you know, not canon films, but the canon of horror, like, you know, the shining and Rosemary's baby and the exorcist, you know, the, the pillars, original Halloween and all the, you know, I, 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 and then I just love all of eighties, John Carpenter, all of those, you know, especially even the weirder ones like Prince of darkness, where it's just like people talking in a basement for a, an hour, you know, <laughs> with this movie, you know, Mark and I kept thinking of, we kept going back to my dinner with Andre and just said like, what if that was a horror movie? You know, that was our sort of initial thing thinking about, you know, this interaction with these two people, you know, and for me and what I sort of learned as, as we were making it or that came into my head while we were making it is like a lot of Michael Hanukkah. Um, I was thinking a lot about, you know, that film Cachet. I've, I've not seen Cachet. Oh, it's amazing. I, that's going on my it's list. going on the list. <laughs> oh, you guys are in, if you like the slow burn, you are in for a fucking treat. <laughs> awesome. Is, uh, that is a harsh movie. You know, he, he, he did funny games. Oh, oh love funny games. Yeah. So he's German director then. Okay. Austrian. 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 Sorry. Yeah. I know there's a, there's a big difference. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're both big chiseled white people who sound the same. Yeah. But much, they, so. it's kind of like Americans and Canadians. They take it personally. It's a big difference. Exactly. <laughs> no, Austria, no, Austrians are a little more, you feel that I think it's a richer country for the most part. So you feel the, but cachet is really amazing. It's great. Cause it's like a political movie, but there's no, politics in it it's about kind of the it, it, there's a reminiscence of the algerian french conflict in it you know but it's also like it's it's just there's a there's a couple moments of violence in it that are like the most shocking i've ever seen well um, if it's anything yeah. like funny games yeah yeah but like even more understated you know oh, i love like it, 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 it yeah and it does and then it does this other thing that kind of you know i i didn't really 
feel again until I saw like It Follows, where it turns the frame almost into a Where's Waldo cartoon a couple times. Yeah. Like you really got to pay attention because there's nonlinear aspects of it. Like he'll cut back to flashbacks, but then there's scenes where he'll have a really wide frame. You know, I'm thinking a lot about like the last, this is when I was thinking about it was the last shot of Creek, you know? Yeah. The yeah. big, the big long, the big long take um, where you, you're kind of like left with your eyes to wander to figure out what you're supposed to be looking at and where the action is almost sometimes, you know, and it's such a small part of the screen, but it's just everything. Right. Yeah. So you mentioned as you detected, we love understated horror. And while I wouldn't compare uh, creep to anything, it's, I think it absolutely stands on its own. I had the same feeling of claustrophobia and why doesn't he leave? That I, I yeah. had in uh, Karn Kusama's The Invitation. Oh, yeah. Have you had the chance to see that? No. No, no, no. Yeah, it's it's new. It's it's on the, the circuit with festivals as well right now. I don't think it's gotten its wide release and I, yet. I thought of it. I noticed, we noticed when we saw it at the, uh, Stanley that they actually, that she thanks Mark in the in the credits. Oh, wow. It's called, it's called The Invitation? Yeah. Yes. Cool. I'll check it out. So, yeah, um, your influences for the movie were not necessarily all horror, but it has quite a bit of, like, darkly comedic, awkward moments. Was this your intention from square one to be a bit of a dark comedy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we set out to make a dark comedy. We wanted, we wanted to make a dark comedy with, like, kind of some sweet undertones to it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, you can feel it. There's some love in there. Oh, for sure. And that's what I, I think, you know, a lot of the impact now that we've pushed it so much further into the, into the horror gen- direction, you know, a lot of that impact is felt even harder because you have these, there's like, you know, there's a couple like genuinely sweet, vulnerable moments in the movie, you know? So I um, have a question about that. Was it your intention? Because we debated this a little bit. Do you think Joseph truly believed from the beginning that he and Aaron are going to be friends, that this situation was going to turn out differently for him and he it was a very genuine desire? Or did he have like the long game in mind from the beginning? I think both of those things are true. You know, I think Joseph's crazy, first yeah. of all. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> but, uh, but, I, but yeah, no, I think, no, I think it's like, he, I mean, he kind of describes it in the movie. You know, when he's talking about, you know, wolves, how he, how much he loves wolves and because they love, they love so much, but they love to the point that they'll maybe accidentally rip your throat out. You know, that was like the character that we wanted to explore, which is funny because it, it is, you're right. It's not a, it's not, that's not a character that you hardly, that you ever see in horror movies. Like someone who genuinely loves, like genuinely loves in a very sweet way, another character to the point that they murder them, you know? Like, we were thinking about misery, for sure. I could see that. Or, like, yeah. fatal attraction, you know? Um, that also just comes from Mark's love of 80s and 90s HBO, whatever was on HBO at the time. You know, but even with misery, you know, she starts yelling at him right away, you know? Like, it, she starts, you know, it's not like she's obsessed with him, but she's also, like, actually torturing him, you know? And I guess, you know, Aaron is torturing, or Joseph is torturing Aaron for sure, but it's in kind of a different way and more of a playful way. And, you know, there is an innocence about Joseph that I think um, just hopefully at the end of the day makes him more dynamic as a character. And um, you did mention earlier that uh, when they purchased the movie, they were also, they bought two other sequels. Are those 
in the works? Are they happening? Are we going to see more Joseph? Uh, yes. I mean, yes. We, I, as much as I can tell you is we are, we are, we are working on sequels. Okay. That is most excellent news. And, you know, we had had some ideas that we were bouncing around. It's been really amazing just in the last, especially in the last week to see people's reactions to this movie, you know, like that honestly has really given us Mark and I both like a lot of juice, just seeing how excited it's made people feel coming out this way, you know, and being able to see it this way, you know, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what's normal, but like, I don't go online on Twitter or anything and say, I like a movie unless I really like it. Like I don't hardly ever do that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that's one of the cool, I'm, I'm sorry, it's just that that's been like surprising and, and nice. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, in, for film lovers, it's easy. Like us, it's a lot easier to talk about a movie. But for normal people to go out of their way and say something nice about something they see on Netflix, that's that means a lot. And I think that that's going to be a, a lot of people are going to be watching this and I'm excited about it. Yeah, no. I, I, yeah, we're, I'm still I think we're both still just taken aback by, you know, when we were making this movie, we didn't even know if anyone was going to see it. Um, when we were initially making it, you know, my my mom, to the best of my knowledge, the last horror movie she saw was The Birds in its original theatrical run. And this oh, afternoon, man. she's not that old. This afternoon, I I was able to rewatch it before we did the show, and she was able to watch it with me, and it was Excellent. it was fantastic. It was a wonderful experience, and she got something out of it that I don't think she expected out of horror, and that never would have happened. I never would have gotten her to a theater to see Creep. That's amazing. I, that's really great. I, that's two of, two of the uh, demographics we were most, most nervous about going, going into this was horror, hardcore horror fans and old people. That so was- for me, what's really interesting is I think one of the reasons it resonates with big horror fans, at least if we're any indication, is that it's so genuine and it wasn't trying to be something else because you guys weren't, you know, following any type of formula and it was such a, a genuine piece, it it hit really well for us. It wasn't something we'd seen before, but I think you know the way you guys went about it was every bit the reason for that. Well, thank you so much. I really, I really appreciate that. Thank you. So I, I have a couple small questions about the production. You said it took two years to film this, but it only took twelve days to shoot your other movie, The Overnight. What are the differences yeah. in the uh, experiences of production? Uh, they couldn't be more different. You know, Creep, Creep was, the initial production of Creep was five days. Uh, and then we went back for one or two days, seven or eight times oh, over the course of a year and a half. That is a arts and crafts piecemeal way to make a film. Mark, I think, shot two seasons of The League <laughs> while we were making Creep. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, his character Pete on the league and Joseph share the same haircut, so we were able to maintain some continuity there. I don't <laughs> change my hair that often, so I was I was okay. Um, there are some moments where, at least I noticed with me, where I'm way more tan than I was in a previous shot, which is not that tan because I'm very white in general, but. Uh, but yeah, so it was like, you know, it, it was something and it was something where we would come home, cut the cut what we just shot into the movie. And at best, it would make it like 2% better, you know? Yeah. At, at worst, we did nothing. There were a couple of times where we just fucked up, you know? 
and that was a wash. And, you know, you can't do that with a normal production because when you're making a movie with a crew and real actors, you are beholden to everyone's time and money at that point. You know, we were not getting paid while we are making Creep, you know, but people were getting paid and money was being spent making the overnight. So making the overnight, was to, it would just behoove us to make that as short of a shoot as possible. And so we essentially used the same production model as Mark's other film, uh, The One I Love. Oh, uh, yeah. Great movie. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great movie. And it's a movie that, you know, <laughs> whole movie's two characters, one location, you know, what Charlie... McDowell and, 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 and Justin later, the writers did was they just said, how can we make this a bigger movie than, than the tools we have? You know, how can we make this, like, what's that extra element that can make it feel more epic? You know? Oh, I think you see the same kind of thing with, uh, E.L. Katz's, uh, cheap thrills. You get a small cast and you put them in a house with a limited amount of time and you get something really raw and unique out of it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I love that movie, um, and that's another. That's a great example of just really being aware of the tools you have, and more than that, being aware of their limitations. You know, and 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 how far you can really go. Like how far, how much of an emotional arc is a character really going to have within the experience that you're creating of this in this small movie? You know what I mean? And also, like when you're dealing with comedy or horror or you're, pl- you're playing in the genre world at all, I'm, I'm excited because you get to do a lot of shit that, that you couldn't normally get away with, you know, in a, like in a drama or something, you know? Yeah. I mean, you'll see with the overnight, there's just like, like I just got to do ridiculous, I got to put a bunch of ridiculous shit in it, and I get away with it because it's a comedy, you know? Yeah, I can't wait. I'm, I've been waiting for it to come to Missoula, and I'm thrilled to see it. Are you guys? Are you guys are in Missoula? Yeah, we're yeah, in we Missoula, are. Montana. Oh, awesome! I I was there. I actually was there with Maurice. I went to the Big Sky Dog Festival. Oh, oh my gosh! And we missed yeah. it. It's a great festival. Yeah, uh, Jeff Medley. Do you guys know Jeff? I don't. I, I know of him, but I I don't know him personally. He's he's an actor in town, and he's this kind of my liaison up there. He's a sweetheart. That's great. Run into that guy. Yeah, uh, the overnight's playing at the Roxy here in town. It's a great old theater. That's awesome. We talked a little bit about, or a lot about, shooting creep. The time you guys spent, and if what's on screen is any indicator, there has to be something hilarious or shocking or terrifying that happened off screen between you and Mark while you guys were up at the cabin. Uh, you know, while we were shooting it. Like we, we would, we would, it's funny because we would both just kind of go into like vacation mode almost when we were stopped, not shooting. So we were in sweatpants usually (laughs) sitting together either on our laptops or like, you know, we we made a very nice like steak dinner one night. Like it was kind of like going on like a really nice men's retreat with just (laughs) two dudes. That makes me so happy. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So. So yeah. wait, real quick, the house in in Creep. I know in the overnight it was Adam Carolla's house. What what yeah. was the Creep house? That it's a vacation rental up in Crestline, California. Perfect. That's great. Yeah. So that's about an hour and a half outside of LA. You know, so it's like far enough that you can actually feel like you're in the woods and you're you're out in the middle of nowhere, but close enough that you could drive home in an hour and a half. You know. Yeah. Um, but what? <laughs> One thing that was kind of crazy was when we were going back up for like reshoot number five, 
to the cabin, uh, that was when uh, Christopher Dorner, that psycho cop, <gasps> oh, yeah. the, the house that they captured him in was like a mile from the cabin. The and, one that burned down. Right. And we were driving towards the burned down cabin. Like we could see the smoke as we were going up the hill. Holy shit. Like, and all the helicopters and stuff. <laughs> and we were like, we were, I mean, we heard that he was captured or killed, I think, as we were driving up. So that had already occurred. But I remember getting ready to go and the TV just being on and my wife just looking. And this, you know, like she did, you know, she at this point, like, you know, she's very close with both me and Mark. And so she just thinks that what we're doing is absolutely silly. <laughs> and she's... It, so she's, you know, we're looking at this burned out house the psychopath is, is, you know, holed up in, and 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 she's like, no, you're really driving there right now, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, we gotta shoot. Yeah, gotta go shoot. No, we gotta get this done. Oh wow! So, oh, we do yeah. have quick questions about clarifying the sister character. Kelly and I had a big argument on the podcast. <laughs> Did he rape his sister? Um. I think I think that's something that the truth is in the eye of the beholder. Okay, good. Bit. Which means I'm like right. It. That means I'm right. It means I'm right. right. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably the one that knows what's up. Thanks, Patrick. Well, Patrick, yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for talking to us. Is there anything else you'd like to plug? Uh, creep, creep on Netflix and iTunes, and then um, and then the overnight is still in theaters, uh, uh, and you know we're still in about. A hundred theaters nationwide right now, Um, and then once that is done, that will probably come out on VOD sometime in September, I believe. Perfect. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for talking to us. We really appreciate it. Best of luck with with Creep and everything else. We're really looking forward to uh, everything that everything that's coming up. Thank you so much for having me on, guys. Have a good one. Now, how cool was that? That was awesome. I really enjoyed that interview, and it was. Nice of him to take the time to visit with us. It was nice of him to be nice to me. You guys should take some cues. That's enough. Get over it, okay? I'm just saying. It's not like we fast-forwarded through your entire speech. Yeah, at least you didn't do that. Thank you so much for talking with us, Patrick, and I hope you guys enjoyed that. What do you say we talk about another movie? What movie? Maybe we should talk about Dark Was the Night? Yeah, we should. Let's do it. enjoying your visit here this evening now on with the show dark was the night is a 2015 horror film directed and produced by jack heller who you might know as the producer of movies like bad milo and the upcoming film some kind of hate and bone tomahawk sam yes byron would you be willing to tell the people what this movie is about Maiden Woods is a remote and quiet town of decent hardworking people but something stirs in the dark woods surrounding the isolated community after a logging company decimates an area of the forest, a rash of increasingly violent and unexplainable events transpires. Sheriff Paul Shields, Kevin Durand, and his deputy, Lucas Haas, struggle to confront their own personal demons while facing down a new breed of raw terror that is possibly older than humanity itself, and much, much hungrier. Cool. Sweet. 
Guys, I don't know necessarily where to begin. I, I love seeing Kevin Durand in a movie. He's widely known as the exterminator on that TV show, The Strain, which is vastly fast. Yeah, pretty cool dude. He he was great. I thought that his acting really carried this film. A lot of acting to carry it. This isn't an action-heavy film. It's mostly moody, quiet, straight-on shots. Definitely a slow burn and probably, I would say, tending towards too slow. See, I think the burn was fine. It just was very much in contrast to the way it ended. My problem is it opened up so hot and heavy with a, a great cameo by Steve Agee, who's a comedian and sometimes actor. You may know him as Brian Posehn's partner on the Sarah Silverman program. The scene opens up with this really brutal, very fast, violent kill. And I get that the kickoff into the story, but you don't see a lot of that brutality until the very end of the movie. Pretty much jump in, jump out throughout with uh, not a lot of strength behind it. Well, it was building. It was really building well. And think about it this way. If, if we had been happier with the payoff at the end, I don't think you guys would be upset about the build. In, in some way, yeah, it, I felt like it actually did a really good job of creating a mood and building anticipation. And you're really waiting and looking for something. It just happens that when they finally revealed it, it was a bit of a disappointment. It kind of has those Maggie vibes, not only in, in its visual style, which I don't think it did as well as Maggie, but it still had that cool kind of calm, slow, desolate darkness. And it was very dark. It was like vi- visually like, which I mean, you could come to expect that from a movie called Dark Was the Night. Yes. And when it was night, it was dark. This is true. It right. was. Also, emotionally, they really kind of pull you along in the same way, in my opinion, not as effective as Maggie, but the whole plot line circles around Kevin Durant's character. I can't remember Sheriff Sheriff Paul Shields, uh, who is recently separated from his wife and he's sharing custody of his son. And you come to find out that his other son died in some sort of accident. They're having trouble dealing with that situation. And that's almost the sadness that drives this whole movie. If you remove the monster, you still have a significant chunk of this movie that's plot driven by that. Right. And the monster portion, I thought they did a very credible job of keeping with some of the established pathways of other great creature features. And here I'm thinking of, and I'm not putting Dark Was the Night in the same league as Jaws, but the idea that there's the creature that's out there and we need to first we need to figure out what it is and then it kills some people and we're still trying to figure out what it is and then we get a plan and then we know what it is there's a final confrontation you know i think that it checked the boxes for a monster movie an effective monster movie which we haven't necessarily seen something like that in a while and i was honestly shocked that we were doing a monster movie we haven't been down this path on the show in a long time oh i love monster movies. but obviously we needed a some sort of cleanser after dude bro party massacre something that was so aggressive and so uh, pushy and the gallows which was just such a brutal punch in the face oh god so this was a bit refreshing i don't know if i was necessarily prepared for it on this hot day i was getting a little sleepy that's because you don't sleep when practical effects kicked in it was very effective. Top notch. They did a great job building, like you said, in the way of Jaws by not showing everything. And that was great. This movie peppered in some really genuine, effective scares. Just glimpses of the enemy. 
Monster. We can say monster. Yeah, we can say monster. It's not giving it away to say monster. And even the lore, the backstory of this of this movie, you come to find out that something, some sort of three-toed, three-hooved, three-segmented hooved creature looked in every window of every house in this town. I thought that was so creepy. That gave me a little little tingle in my spine. But this but. this Santa Claus like monster that visits everyone in one night. Maybe let's drop dead giveaways now, right? Yeah, I, I think do. that's I think that's appropriate because we really can't say a heck of a lot more. Uh, it's time for dead giveaways. Dead giveaways. This is the point in the show where we spoil a movie. If you don't want this movie ruined, I highly recommend you pause now and watch Dark Was the Night before continuing. And you can do that. Right, Sam? You can do that right now on iTunes and possibly other premium VOD services. What do we have on our hands here, Kelly? A Wendigo. A Wendigo. Did they ever actually come out and say a Wendigo, though? You know, it was in a web search that uh, our, our main character did. I don't know if that's necessarily what we have here, but that's a description of the monster, I think that's right? What we're, I, yeah. I think that's what we're, we're led to believe. It was that yeah. or the devil? I don't think it was the devil. No, I think by the time we saw it, it was not the devil. The devil comes in many different forms. True, but I don't think that this was a devil form. I don't form. think so either. Kelly, what's a Wendigo? A Wendigo is a Native American creature that was affiliated with cannibalism. And some Native American stories said that sometimes you would have a dream and become a Wendigo in a dream. Other times, if you ate human flesh, you would become a Wendigo. And so there were ceremonies that were performed during times of hunger to basically try to keep people from doing this by telling the stories of Wendigos and what happens if you resort to cannibalism. It's been a folklore kind of in the northern United States, like the Great Lakes region and in Canada for centuries. Kelly, you know a lot about cannibalism, right? Not nearly as much as you, Byron. I would say that that's one of your expert fields. You guys should share recipes. I don't want that recipe. Why do you think Native Americans and I guess throughout history, people frowned upon cannibalism so much? And Sam, feel free to jump in. I honestly have no answer. I mean, it's lean protein. Do you think it because of the effects of the d- eating your own DNA. Is that what it is? No, I think there's some deeper spiritual compulsion to shy away from eating other humans. Yeah, it's psychological. Hmm. Just curious. There's always these lures that frown on eating uh, your own flesh, except for headhunters and those kinds of guys. They love it. They believe that you get the powers yeah, of people. Yeah, you know, especially if those people are obnoxious film students this is all beside the point because there isn't really any cannibalism in this movie but yeah, i love way, it way off in the weeds love a good wendigo this is actually the first time i've heard of a wendigo you probably <laughs> hadn't heard of a wendigo before no, of this? course not i know they're about a winnebago of, i mean they're kind of they're as the famous as sasquatch but they're kind of a big deal really should we drop the the big spoiler and just get it out of the way? Yeah, let's do it. It's horrible. It's the worst looking Wendigo ever. The reveal is not practical effects. It's CG. It's more like a DG or even an FG. <laughs> it's it's not good. Um, it was it was really disappointing. They could have stuck with the practical, showed less, and I think the movie would have would have wrapped up nicely. Um, we we didn't need that sci-fi channel quality slap in the face of the monster. For a movie that gracefully took its time building the story, for them to jump into the situation, even after they set it up very well, 
it was a huge disappointment. They show this monster very fast and they deal with it very fast, which I guess is good in this situation. But it's still frustrating because I, I wasn't 100% sold to begin with. Yeah. And the, the third act felt really rushed. It was built to be some big showdown, you know, even if the movie would have started there, I would have appreciated that moment. You know, I could have watched the whole movie of, of them. They gather the townsfolk into the church because of this Wendigo monster. That's where they hold up. And that was what I wanted. That set piece right there could have kicked things off. Instead, they fast forwarded. Yeah, that's a bummer. It was a bummer. There were some cool opportunities. They were going the right direction without showing a great deal. And then they just took a 90 degree turn and into shit station. Oh, shit station it was bad they took an express train to shit station (laughs) seriously though i felt like it was a pretty legitimate movie up until that point i felt like the characters were actually quite compelling the kid wasn't annoying he was a good actor our lead sheriff was actually pretty darn good you felt really bad for his situation with his wife Mm -hmm. you know i think it did a better job of character development than a lot of horror movies do And also built this tone of, oh, my gosh, there's something scary. And it reminded me of signs in the way that they showed just teeny tiny bits of this creature to get you really scared. And then all of a sudden, when they reveal the whole thing, it's like, oh, really? Lame. Sad. What else? Should have been better. Yeah, I know. Honestly, that's kind of what we have here. That's our film. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, I actually think it's worth watching up until the end because the story is interesting and the characters are really well developed and the acting's very much above average for a horror movie, I would say. It has and it has the makings of a great creature feature and it there's does. just a big misstep. They just need to you know, you know what the they're missing? It was a good creature. A great creature. Yeah. Yeah. What do you say we wrap this thing up? Let's do it. Let's let's rate this. Okay. So, keeping in mind that I have to rate it as a horror film. If I were to rate it as just a film film, I think it actually did a better job, but as a horror film, not a film film, not a film film because four, eight. No, that's too rough. (laughs) Five, eight, five, five, eight, five point eight. And if the ending had been different, even if they had cut the ending, I think it would have been a lot higher than that for me. The ending really dropped it because I actually thought the rest of it was very good. I'm going to have to go four point five. And it's because of that terrible CG, the big reveal at the end. I thought that. Kevin Durand was a stellar lead. And the supporting actors, uh, Nick Dimitri and Lucas oh, Haas. We didn't even really get to talk about Nick Dimitri and how great it is to see him in something like this. Yeah. He was the lead in late phases. He played an elderly gentleman, a blind war vet, uh, hunting. Yeah, beset by werewolves. He killed it in that and he killed it in this. But- he did too. The, the acting was great. The lead and the two main supporting actors, as well as... Um, Bianca Kajic as Kevin Durant's wife, she was excellent as well. I, I don't think you can have that great of performances by that many actors and not say that the director didn't have a whole lot to do with it. So kudos to the actors and kudos to Jack Heller for for directing. I, I feel very similar to all you guys. I think we're all on the same page. I'm going to give this movie a 4.0. For a movie that started out so brutal and killing one of my favorite comedians, I had high hopes and it definitely didn't dip, but it it didn't get much better. I think that a good monster and a good reveal would have been great uh, and could have turned this thing around. But since it didn't, I have to give it a 4.0. 
it was still very much worth watching and you can definitely check it out now on itunes or vod platforms everywhere it's it's worth paying for and that's our review of dark was the night did sam yeah he went, yeah. He went oh down. sorry i missed that yeah, it was four five out? i think i did black oh, out no. i actually was reading one of our listeners just sent us a really awesome ghost story that i was just reading like, oh really yeah this is a great time to remind people that you're still collecting ghost stories for our ghost extravaganza Gulapalooza. Palooza. Do you like that? Gulapalooza. We should come up with some. Yeah. Do we have any questions? Speaking of peeps, you know, let me check. Yes, yes, yes. We have one question this week, and if you have a question for us, you can go on Twitter at Fright Day and tweet at us, or you can just write us contact at frightday.com. Uh, this question is from Felicia Shimbari. In each of your opinions, what makes a movie a horror movie as opposed to say a thriller? Also, Byron, what the fuck is mumblecore? Okay, so this is interesting because for me, there's so much that fits into the horror genre that according to broad definitions that I wouldn't necessarily fit into my personal definition of the horror genre because for me, horror implies some level of paranormal. It implies something that couldn't actually happen. But then what about... uh, I shouldn't say that. Not something that couldn't actually happen, but something that would be very much beyond the realm of everyday happenings. Whereas you guys with your home invasion fascination, that's not the case with you. But to me, it's got to be something that centers around a topic that I couldn't defend myself against and therefore is, you know, completely terrifying. So in your opinion, is the movie Seven a horror film? According to what I keep seeing is broad definitions of it. Yeah, but for me, no. For you, no. Mm-mm. I personally have a much wider scope of horror. In my opinion, horror is something terrifying and frightening overall. It has that that dread. And that includes a lot of, quote, dark thrillers right. for me. And I'm willing to accept that definition. In fact, I go with it a lot. I review a lot of movies for the site that fit into that definition rather than mine. But yeah. I'm just saying personally. Well, no, there, I think the actual direct definition of horror does include supernatural, which doesn't necessarily need to be there for me. How about you, Sam? I'm definitely more in Byron's camp here. It has to contain elements of the horrific, and it has to have been intended for entertainment. So Schindler's List has the horrific, Mm -hmm. but it's not intended to scare. It's not intended to shock. For me, horror has to be aimed at the entertainment market. You know, whether it's Saw or, you know, Halloween, August Underground, and we get into the what some people call like the dark thrillers, like Seven's a great example. For me, another uh, another trilogy that falls right in with that is The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. It kind of blurs that line between, you know, terror and thriller mystery. Yeah, I, I think it has to be intended to horrify and scare. I like from that. an artistic, I guess, artistic aesthetic standpoint on a reactionary basis. Yeah, yeah. and <sighs> mumblecore. I, are are you good with that? Yeah, I was just gonna say I'd be interested to know what what Felicia thinks horror is. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, tweet okay. back at us. Felicia once told me a story. She lives in the same town that the Scream House was filmed at. Oh boy, does that make you really, really happy, Byron? Yeah, of course it makes me happy. I, I was going to go visit it last time I was in uh, the California area, but I didn't have time. And talking about mumblecore, it's a film style that came around in the mid or early 2000s that focuses on amateur production, low budget, and naturalistic dialogue. There's people like Andrew Buchowski, Joe Swanberg, Mark Duplass. They're the main directors that kind of started this movement. There's something about dialogue that is 
it's said the way I'm saying things now. It's not polished and it's, it's improvised. And I really, I like watching those movies. I like seeing humanistic reactions to things that people say that's, that's mumblecore. That's why I like it. And mumble horror is very fun as well. Mumbly mumbly. I think I've actually kind of sold you on that a little bit more recently. What would be an example of, of mumble horror? Mumble horror? Uh, a horrible way to die, Baghead, uh, even your next. A lot of Adam Wingard's films are in that mumble gorer area. And apparently he has been working on, don't quote me on this, possibly a Blair Witch reboot that's currently in production under a different name. That's awesome. Toad Road is also probably in that same. My God, I need to watch that. You should. It's on Netflix, I believe. So creep. Absolutely. Mark Duplass stuff. He he always kind of incorporates elements of, of improv and naturalistic dialogue and embracing your budget, making something that's real and effective. That's the kind of stuff I like to see. I don't, it doesn't need to be polished. It just needs to work. I look for the interactions between characters much sooner than I look for the production value of the set and costumes and uh, the the class of actors, you know? Life After Beth. Life After Beth is a great example. Yeah. He was the director of I Heart Huckabees, right? Oh, yeah. Yes, he was. Yeah. Mumblecore, mumble horror. It's my thing. Sorry. Own it, man. And if you have any questions for us or just want to say something, um, we'll read any spells aloud or any ceremonies. Kelly loves reading really long ceremonies. I love it. And that's at Fright Day on Twitter and contact at FrightDay.com. Mega episode, guys. Whew. We made it. We did. I hope everyone else did. I think they did. I think they're going to appreciate it. It's it's a really awesome board of an episode. A little bit of something for everyone. Everyone. What are we doing next? I don't know that we've decided. I think we need to talk more about it. I've got a couple ideas, but I vote we surprise everyone. Cool, but we should probably tighten our calendar and tighten our ships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, ships. I mean, I'm Ugh, the head of that. Jeez, come on, Captain. Now. You saw that coming. That's enough. I did, I did kind of set Speaking it up. Speaking which, when are we getting our hats? I want my hat. Captain hats? Yes. Should we get them up for pre-order at shop.frightday.com? Yes. Pre-order Captain hats! No, we're not doing that. Oh my gosh, yes. But you can pick up a shirt or a button packet at shop.frightday.com, support the show, or go onto iTunes and give us some stars and say some nice words. Anyone who writes review on iTunes will get some buttons from us, these really, really cool buttons, and we might even read your review on air. Absolutely. Because we love you. Like this review here that says, A plus, five stars, As someone who was not much of a horror fan, this podcast is slowly but surely converting me. Come for the movie reviews, stay for Captain Kelly's Cryptids and Conspiracies. Did you write that yourself, Kelly? No, I swear to God I didn't. No, it's a person. Okay. Makes me really happy. Thank you guys so much for listening. It means the world to us. I'm going to go home and turn on my air conditioning and uh, watch iTunes videos that are... um, not serial killer. Good. Should good, we tell Byron. people how they can she bought it. bother us? Where can we find you on the internet, Sam? I am at Sam Fright Day on Twitter, and I can be reached by email, Sam at FrightDay.com. How about you, Kelly? You can get me at Kelly Fright Day on Twitter, or you can email me, Kelly at FrightDay.com. I love hearing from everyone. And I'm at Byron McCoy on Twitter. Byron at FrightDay.com is my email address. And until next week, I'm Byron. I'm Kelly. And I'm Sam. Yes, Hemian. Thanks, everybody. Bye.